Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Ozark. That's what I, isn't that the guy from Ozark? And I was like, about B- Bateman. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen that. He was like, well, you don't well, see and Lynn is in that. And she's yeah. an actress who I feel All right. I'm recording well. the billboard right now for our show. We're going to be doing a show in just a few minutes. It's Wednesday night. The panel is already here. You can hear them in the background. We're going to be talking tonight about The Outsider, HBO's Stephen King adaptation with Jason Bateman and a whole bunch of other terrific actors. We'll also be talking about a modification to Netflix. We'll talk, talk about the Snoop Dogg, Gail King standoff and something else that I've already forgotten. Anyway, it's all going to be just terrific. Oh, a horrible, obnoxious new dating trend. That's what. So all of that is still to come after the news. Which is fine. Yeah. You just got to know what you're getting into. Welcome, welcome to the nose. We're so excited. We're doing. We're recording this nose at night. I'm going to tell you that right away. That in fact, we're recording it on Wednesday night. So you know how on Thursday Kendrick Lamar and Kathy Griffin announced they were getting married. We don't know that right now. That was that we won't be able to talk about that. Okay, and that probably is not the thing that's happening. But you know what I'm saying. We don't know whatever that thing is. Uh, but and with, with the reasons why we're doing this, and you'd be bored by them. All right, but you won't be bored by this panel. They are terrific. Tanisha Dugan is a, a producing associate at Theater Works. Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, dancer, founder, uh, director, choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Has her own line of sheets and towels at J.C. Penney. It's just like <laughs> it goes on and on. Um, Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. Uh, and towards the second part of the show, we will talk, be talking about The Outsider on HBO. This is a Stephen King adaptation. By the formidable screenwriter and novelist Richard Price has a really sort of, I would say it was, it's sort of an all-star cast. It's actually like people who are all-stars if you really are paying attention to who's a good actor these days. It's kind of more like that. But anyway, more, more to come on that. Also, something that's almost become a tradition, uh, as big a tradition as the Papulian through line, is uh, Carolyn explaining an obnoxious dating trend that will be happening. Um, we'll also be talking about a modification to Netflix. Uh, Netflix is in need, of, need of so many modifications, but you have to start somewhere. But we are going to begin with a somewhat more serious thing. Uh, this is a, a controversy that has brewed in different ways since the tragic death uh, of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and everybody else in that helicopter. Um, and uh, it has turned into a controversy enveloping Gail King. I will struggle to summarize it, but basically uh, Gail King in an interview with basketball star Lisa Leslie uh, had uh, asked about whether or not uh, Kobe Bryant's past uh, accusation of racism, of <laughs> racism, of rape against him uh, in uh, Vail, Colorado in 2003 uh, would in some way tincture his legacy would in some way maybe contaminate uh, his uh, his life story. Uh, a number of people took offense at that. It was a debate that had been brewing anyway in lots of other quarters. Uh, and then Snoop Dogg weighed in and uh, offered something that seemed a little bit uh, like a, a threat, 
where he said to back off uh, and somebody might be uh, coming after her uh, and a lot of people interpreted that as a threat against Gail King. So then, as is the case with any kind of controversy in social media, everybody else weighed in. Uh, so everybody else, everybody in America except the four of us has an expressed an opinion about this topic. Uh, and now we will proceed to – I sort of feel like this is a cut and dried thing. But then sometimes I, I deceive myself in that regard. Uh, so I don't know. Irene, I, I know this is something that you kind of had to read up on because you're not – glued to the Twitters perhaps as much as some of the others of us are. I'm glued to another part of the Twitters. Okay. But um, I, uh, yeah, I mean. Black Twitter is its own. No, there's black Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like politics Twitter actually (laughs) versus. uh, But um, it seems like that issue was out there. And Mm -hmm. so I can't blame Gail King for for asking about it. I, I don't think, you know, yeah, it was right after he died and maybe that was you know, not good timing. It's not good to talk about. But it's it was since it's in it's in the public sphere, I think, to ask the question is. Well, and apparently she said that it was edited Mm -hmm. the way the interview was presented was not how it actually went. And the editing made it sound much more uh, inflammatory. Right. She did say that it was a it was a a long ranging um, interview with Lisa, Lisa Leslie. But I think, you know, you bring up a good point about whether or not asking the question is appropriate. And I think that is a question to be asked. Like, is it the right time and place for that question? Um, and then I think the other side of it is sort of, uh, is it a, was, is Snoop, is it appropriate his response to that, right? Like, you, there's a legitimate question about should you have asked that question anyway? Um, she's a journalist, so I think the answer is yes. Um, but there's something about taking care of black women um, and black men doing that um, and holding people to account, um, but also not uh, – I guess it's like ca- people call it calling in, call call in instead of call out. Um, Wait, what do you mean it's, it's taking care of black – who's taking care? I think black men need to do more so he- taking care of taking care of black women um, and I think uh, – Snoop, you know, Gail and and Oprah, who got into it and was crying about what was happening with Gail, um, have done a lot, right? Um, and are in, op, you know, operating in spaces that are are hostile to black women, right? Like, they don't exist in the levels of journalism that they are in. Um, so figuring out how to poke and ask questions of that kind of giant without... Um, tearing them down in the process, I think, is so you're, the question. So you're criticizing Snoop, in other words. I am. I <laughs> yeah. am. I think I, I think he, he, there's some, I mean, there's, there's some work to be done. Snoop's an interesting <laughs> character to me, right? Like, he's, like, running around, like, getting high with Martha Stewart, mm-hmm. like, baking with her in every sense of the word. And then, you know, uh, I, and then, then he, he gets, jumps in and, and chimes in on all these things. And sometimes he has like a really great, strong opinion. And sometimes like, again, I just feel like he's like poking a bear. And he, he did, this was, his language was incredibly like aggressive. And I, I know that just today he did come out with an apology mm-hmm. video oh. and said that he feels he his language was inappropriate and that he was a little... Um, 
you know. He said, I don't want no harm to come to go. her and I didn't threaten her. All I did say was check it out. You out of pocket for what you're doing. We're watching you. Actually, he did threaten her. I mean, he, I, I, he, I, I think we're. Well, some will say it was. Some would say it's not. I'm probably in your camp, but I also <laughs> live with someone who is firmly in the camp that that is not a th- intended to be a threat. Right. <laughs> and it's also if you know if you love someone who dies, you just don't want anyone to to go any go anywhere into that kind of an issue, that, like a problematic issue about their life, yeah. right? Right. The th- the threat line just for people who haven't followed this uh, at the end of a long, you know, expletive filled rant. He said, "Respect the family and back off, bitch, uh, before we come get you." And I, I will say somebody is – I'm, you know, as a journalist – these days it's really hard to be a journalist. Uh, and I mean I don't want to sound whiny about this. But like I had a guy this weekend who who over the period of about a month is constantly writing to me and fantasizing about me killing myself. And he's – he describes it in some detail. <laughs> he's like really thought about it for a while. <laughs> you know, and how, how glad he's going to be when I do that. And, you know, I mean it's stressful. And I mean I would imagine it's so much more stressful for Gail King to have this happen in a public context where there may be other – obviously there are a lot of people rushing to her defense. But there are also other people saying – you know, cheering Snoop on. And, you know, you just sort of – you kind of don't know where you stand these days. So, I mean I, I do think he's enough of a public figure to know that before we come get you, it's going to be read as a threat anyway. Yeah. Um, and if I were Martha Stewart or anybody else, I would say make this all the way right or we are not collaborating anymore because you cannot threaten a woman the way that you just did in this environment. I See, I wish that would be the case, right? Mm-hmm. I oh, yeah. wish that women would actually – in the same way that I'm like there's, there's a responsibility that Snoop has as a, as a black person to take care of her. I think there's a responsibility that women have to take care of yeah, her. Yeah, I was going to say – I don't see Martha doing Yeah, that. did Martha Stewart chime in? Did his bestie ever, you know <laughs> – Get get in on this and be no. like, you know, maybe she yeah. back off, Snoop. Yeah. <laughs> okay, interesting. And, and it's, it's it's troublesome. The, this has been a very hard thing, and it's, I think it's been made very difficult. The whole thing has been made difficult. I think by the circumstances of the death and the fact that the poor girl uh, and, and all those other people died as well. I think if Kobe Bryant had died alone in a crash. It would be easier for journalists who, as you suggested at the beginning, Tanisha, part of our job in these situations is to look at the totality of the person's life, you know, as much as we might feel terrible for how things had gone and, and also feel terrible because he really did, did seem to have made an effort after this to be a very different kind of person. But the story itself from Vale is a really upsetting story and there's just no way that a journalist can lay off of it. But but I do think that, you know, the fact that other people died and he was devoted to his daughter and she died with him. And I mean, just this like, you know, yeah, it really yeah. is. And he had, I mean, he had no children when that happened. Not that right. uh, having children should uh, provide some kind of space if you are accused of raping someone. But I think having four daughters mm-hmm. after that situation, I think he began, I think he, People are expecting him to be different. Right. I mean, there are some people who don't seem to change. Harvey Weinstein isn't any different, as far as <laughs> I can tell. And Louis C.K. has a hard time just turning around, you know, who he is. I, I, I mean, it doesn't excuse anything. And I really do, unfortunately, believe the story that the woman told in Vail. But, um, but you know, he did make an effort anyway. And that's a lot of people never can do that. We, we need to switch gears to a sort of happier topic, at least a more frivolous topic. Um, and Carolyn is going to take the lead here because, as we say, there is a tradition here on the show <laughs> of obnoxious dating trends, as explained to us by Carolyn Payne. 
Yeah, like ghosting. Remember you you, you yes. explained that. We, yeah, we, there, we skipped yeah. a few. We didn't do breadcrumbing, which I just. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought we did talk about did bread. Oh, maybe we did. Maybe we yeah. did. My uh, apologies if we bread, if I forgot. No, we can't talk about that. Right <laughs> Don't now. worry we about. It. We're going to focus on one that is very timely to where we're at this week, and that is called valentiting. Tightening. So well, I've seen it both ways. Yes. Valentining and or, val- or yeah. yes, it's yeah. both ways. It's a very hard word to say. It, so tightening or tightening. Tightening. Right. So basically what it is is, as you know, it's like Valentine's Week. So, all, you And know, most people will be hearing this on Valentine's Day. Right. So you are expecting flowers and chocolate and candy and champagne and nice dinners and all sorts of other things. But if you are dating somebody who is a tightwad, they are going to use this opportunity to break up with you so they don't have to give you any of that on Valentine's Day. In early February, they're supposed to Right. So actually, um, statistically, most people, the one of the biggest times for breakups is the 48 hours before Valentine's Day. <laughs> there is actual <laughs> studies on this, and I have been reading about it. Um, and so people, this is a big breakup time. So over the next 48 hours, like, lock down your partner. <laughs> Or, yeah. or, or, or just cut them not. loose. Yeah. Or be the person yeah. who is like, no, we are not spending right. money on each other. So, And some of these relationships get back together. Well, just to, once again, to clarify, it's actually Friday when people are listening to it. So they, it's too late for them. No, not necessarily. I mean, maybe they'll get home from work and thought they were going right. out, and then they find out they're a victim of right. Valentine's. It would have been a good idea maybe to get your significant other's credit card number earlier. You know, for just sure. So that you can yeah. just order some of this stuff that you're not going to get. But there's also a theory that this is that Valentine's Day is such a high-pressure holiday that it causes people in relationships to take stock of the relationship, not just on the financial end, but uh, sort of if you're bankrupt emotionally as well with this <laughs> relationship. <laughs> and that now you're going to just break it off because you don't want to spend the money and you don't really think you like this person that much anymore anyway. So just cut ties before you have to go find a cute card with a puppy on it. I mean, I have to know what you're thinking right now. Well, I mean, I, I think <laughs> I, there, it, Valentine's Day, I, I've always perceived as like great pressure. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're wherever you happen to be in your relationship, whatever you happen to be thinking about, it's like, OK, you have to be in love. You have to give presents. You have to, you know, profess exactly. your love. You have to like, tell the world. That, and I always feel like, oh, there's something kind of like awkward about that, no matter how much I am or am not in love. You know, I just feel like it's it's I perceive it as kind of awkward kind of pressure. Um, so how do, you, how do you negotiate that? So in other words, do you say to the other person, you, let's not do anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, but that me. doesn't go over very well. I have okay. definitely tried that. Yeah. And um, it depends. But I think some people just really, a lot of people don't think that's, don't think that's a good idea. You, you, you could say, don't do anything that will cost so much that you'll begin to reevaluate our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true if it is about money. But it, I think it's... I, yeah, I mean, I do like the perspective of I won't do it if you won't do it. You know, I like but. when Valentine's Day falls on a Friday or Saturday because I think you can get away from like, God, we've got to do this thing on a Tuesday night. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. how are we going to do with this thing? And it sort of like feels like, oh, yeah, we should do a date night. And although I agree with the frustration of Valentine's and I understand why one would want a Valentine. (laughs) I, uh, I think you need an external reminder to just be like, yeah, we should just, you know, so share some love out. My question about this, and I'll direct it to Carolyn, but uh, everybody too, is 
like all of these things, all of these horrible trends that we have discussed, <laughs> uh, usually at the behest and with the assistance of Carolyn Payne, the ghosting and the breadcrumbing and the this and the or orbiting and I don't know everything. You know, they, orbiting. Yeah, they they all seem. I mean, obviously, the course of love never did run smooth, but mm. it feels like there's these things are a product of a different kind of environment where things are pressurized and often conducted by phone and where you can do things that are maybe a little bit cruel and heartless because you're not often, <laughs> oh doing, often doing them in person. <laughs> and and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just wondering whether the environment has become more transactional. I mean, think, the dating environment? Yes. Is that what oh, you're talking for about? sure. Yeah. Because I, I think that for... Do you want to think about that at all? No, <laughs> I know for sure. It is a horrible world. <laughs> I am in it and I am dating in it and it is awful. It sucks. The and, and I think the Valentine's thing, like with anything, gets like blown, can get blown way out of control with like social media and all these other people who are posting things that you can perceive to be quite aspirational. Because they went to Paris. Oh, yeah, I heard <laughs> I heard about that girl who faked the trip to Paris, that Instagram <laughs> blogger. But yes. <laughs> See, that's that's the kind of world she we're living in. She faked that it was her, her boyfriend invited her to Paris. Well, or, I I don't even think a boyfriend was involved. It was just oh. fake pictures in Par- you know. Oh, See, oh, oh, See, that's oh, the oh, other part of this. It's all about how people yeah. see it. But that's the other part of this, which is that you know, like nobody can ask anybody out to the prom these days. There's a promposal. Le- yeah, we're less than a marching band, yeah. like, you know. A promposal. So, so like, that's what it's called. Cool. Yeah, so like the upside of this kind of stuff has gone so far up, and I feel like there's an accompanying downside. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to go that elaborately, I mean, no wonder people want to get out of Valentine's Day if, in fact, it, it it's at the level of these things that it's so to use a Tanisha Dugan term, performative. Mm-hmm. Like everything's performative these days, and maybe you don't feel like performing. So it's, it, no, and once you put a name to it, it's real. So, I mean, I think ghosting always existed even before there were, you know, cell phones to stop texting someone and people would just kind of, you know, disappear and try to sneak out of a relationship. But once we start calling it ghosting, it's everywhere. It's a real thing that people, it's, it becomes much more tangible. So now valentightening is going to become even more real. And I think it has existed for a long time. I, 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 I do think that, but now it's just... I mean, it's the same as, like, before the ho- holidays. People, you know, breakups yeah. are really high before the holidays. Right. I mean, that's just kind of like... Were, were, you, were you going to say something before about the performance? I, I was, because I just... I think that that because we're in this space where everything is for other people's perspective, mm-hmm. there is a transactional aspect. And the transaction actually isn't with your partner. The transaction is with your followers or right. your friends who see it on Facebook. And I think that that triangulation makes relationships, modern relationships and modern dating tough. Right. And it's a triangle. I think that's the right yeah. word, yeah. too. It's you and the other person and then all these other people. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> that is just awful. You know, I mean, that you're going to, you, you have to be a seen as. proposal is, is ridiculous. Right. right. Yeah. Like that this thing that this 16 year old is doing can't just be, which is already rife with. It's hard enough. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. now, you know, expected to be some kind of memory that you're both supposed to hold on to for the rest of your life. It's and just And what does crazy. that do? What does that do to like intimacy? Right. Right. So, well, I think I it's mean, the, the opposite thereof well, because, yeah. because a lot of it is done for the purpose of d- Instagramming it yeah. subsequently. So and it do is, the, is this more the women than the men that, that you know. Like, Who is doing the valentightening? Yeah. Well, the men are. Maybe the men are doing the valentining. Right. Cheap-ass cheap men are doing <laughs> Cheap-ass men, for sure. Cheap yeah. Men. But 
I mean, well, like, <laughs> so for a heterosexual relationship, or 100%. you know, are yeah, it's. Right. I mean, who likes to? I guess because everybody the, likes to be, because take the an woman Instagram. the woman would be in a similar position. The woman would say, "Honey, I don't really have enough money to get you some of the things that I would like to get you this time around, you know. But I mean, I still care about you, uh, but not as much. But I do care about you. <laughs> but whatever, the woman would like, you know, the man would think, either I'm going to spend seventy five dollars on this woman, or I'm not. Or, and you, you know. unearthed something about Valentine's Day that is so true, which is that it is as much about men doing a thing for women, men buying. Flowers Stupid heart-shaped jewelry, you know, which like, no one asked for. But but that is, <laughs> you know. And you want to say, he Never. did it for me, and therefore I'm really special, because he went I'm, out of his way to do that for me. All right, so uh, before we lose uh, track of time too much, I'm just going to turn on Netflix right now, so we can just pick up something to watch. Oh, it seems like there's a doppelganger of me. Wait, I didn't, I didn't pick that show. So um, that was my sad little uh, Netflix impersonation. But so there's this thing that happens on Netflix, which is that something you just put Netflix on, and... St- the th- a thing starts up that you haven't even it's, decided that you want to see. That's pretty new too, right? I, somewhat new. And a lot of it depends which device you're using and it's all a little bit idiosyncratic. But a lot of people don't like that. They don't like the fact that the stranger just starts no, going. No, I love this. Well, I said some people don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I am all in. <laughs> well, it turns out you can disable it, but you don't care. You would not disable that. No. Right? So I love this feature. Autoplay. The called. autoplay of the trailers because it has actually shown, gotten me into some things that I really quite enjoyed watching that I might not have invested in um, just from – the picture and and the name of the show or, you know, just have her like her having hearing a couple of things about it. Like, I don't know. I think it's cool. It got me hooked into uh, watching The Stranger, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, I, I want to get into this. And you know, eight hours of my life later, <laughs> I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> and then but I think the annoying thing is, is that when you finish a show, it starts playing a trailer for another show. Right. Right away. Or so when you, it, feel like you finish an episode or something, it just starts the next episode whether you want it or not. That's true. Oh, but yeah. I love that. You like Yeah, that. I love it, that. Less it, work. It relieves you of the responsibility. Right. So you can just sort of sit there and go, well, it, it's forcing you. I, I actually well, don't like I it. I Netflix me. to binge. Right. Like, that is yeah. what I do. So yeah. I, that's that to me, that's the point. <laughs> I hate when it's like, do you want to continue watching this? I'm, I'm like, like, don't judge me, Netflix. Shut up. Put on the next episode. <laughs> I don't need it telling me that I need to get up and do something, stretch my legs, and not watch eight hours straight of a show. See, when I, I first read this, Irene, I totally misunderstood because I thought I, my problem with Netflix is that they're just – I can never find what I want. And I spend a lot of time going, no, 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 no. In fact, you already showed me all those things a million times. No, <laughs> no, 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 I don't want that. And there'll be something. For I'll give an example. There's a movie which was on Barack Obama's you know, best movie list of the year. It made some critics' top ten list. It's called Atlantics. It's an African movie, which I would like to see. And I happen to know it's somewhere on Netflix. Why don't you just but, use the search? Well, that's what I, w- I would do. Oh, so say the people who are glad <laughs> that the things just play so they don't have to do anything. They want to see the t- so a trailer given to them. Yeah, they don't <laughs> have, to, they have to do anything other than eye movement. <laughs> Why don't you use the search? <laughs> well, I could. And I will at some Point, use the search, it's such a pain too with like a, a. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> right and if you're drunk it's impossible oh yeah. so but um no i mean i can do that but i mean it has this whole method of it's like somebody hands you has you hands you this big cheesecake men, factory men, menu yes. and but it doesn't have the thing that you want 
You're looking for it everywhere. It's not organized in any way. No. It's some kind of stupid algorithm. Yeah. So I'm like, what? my kids watch, I don't know, some trolls thing, and we just get const- like tons of weird kids stuff. And I'm like, but that's not – I'm with you 100% on that. Like, I want to know what's on, and I don't just want the – you know, I get – alerts of like, oh, Netflix has a drop today. See what they're showing and, you know, what's added to their catalog for February. I'm like, but what's in the full catalog? Right. I, this possible I'm missing right. some the, things. I, the full catalog, exactly. I mean, and then they have the, this, these other little curated categories where it's like binge-worthy British dramas with a, <laughs> with a dog that weighs less than 45 pounds or something. <laughs> no, but what, so you, what do you want it, what do you, how would, how could you I find want what that Denisha movie? Just said. I want them to show me the full catalog in a way that I can sort of approach it like I don't want to have this big bunch of screens and rows and rows of things that I go through looking for something that I'm never going to find. But I how could like they show to, you the whole catalog? I don't know. I don't know, but There's I would love them to figure that out. People getting oh. paid a lot of money to solve that problem. <laughs> because right? you know what? If they're to the new Blockbuster, they need to give us that same thing Blockbuster gave you, right? right. Which is that you could walk down the rows and go, okay – what do I what do I feel like watching tonight? Oh, I'm in the mood for something funny and uh, probably some romance. Okay, I'm going to go down that aisle and I'm going to just rock down that aisle until I find something that. Carolyn, Blockbuster was a covers. store. Where you <laughs> I'm aware. I can. Rem- I remember Blockbuster. I have a Blockbuster, Blockbuster card. Video. <laughs> yeah. So I I was going to say that I think. I I also still have cable. I feel like I'm the only millennial in the world who has not cut a cable cord. Oh, I still have cable. Um, I'll never okay, get rid of it. Good. <laughs> but on so I have Xfinity and if you are just kind of in the mood for like a thriller, you can go to well and I have the talking remote which I yeah. was in the commercial oh, that's for. Handy. You oh, can I love that. you can find things real easy with that, but you can go just like look for a thriller and you can see their whole catalog of thrillers alphabetically. I mean it's literally like a thousand movies. Yeah. Mm. Um so Xfinity does have that feature. It is oh, overwhelming. Right. Yes, yeah. not Netflix. But why I have wondered why Netflix doesn't do that. Maybe there's just too much stuff. That could be the problem. Anyway, we have to stop. Uh, we didn't solve that problem. I think we have not solved any problems, really. But we're not here to solve problems, and we're not here to make friends either. We're here to be on the nose, and we'll do that after this. Netflix, 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 and chill. Netflix, 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 and chill. Netflix, Netflix, Netflix. All right. Uh, the Outsider uh, is a, a thriller on HBO. Uh, it is based on uh, a Stephen King novel. Uh, but the script is written by Richard Price, who kind of specializes in the somewhat more uh, urban realist detective uh, fiction genre. And it kind of shows that as a really fascinating cast. Its premise is a little hard to describe, but uh, you'll get a little bit of it from this clip. Uh, what uh, has happened, the precipitating event in particular, is a child murder in which an otherwise beloved town figure, played by uh, just uh, Jason Bateman, uh, Terry Maitland, uh, seems to be, everything seems to point to him being the killer, but also everything seems to point to him having been in a completely different location at that time. He is absolutely the killer and he has absolutely an alibi. That's a lot of what they're trying to resolve here. So in this clip, you're going to hear uh, a few uh, characters that you know, actors that you know pretty well. Jason Bateman, as I said, Bill Camp, the terrific actor uh, as a lawyer, Howard Salomon, and Ben Mendelsohn as the detective Ralph Anderson. Uh, so let's take a listen. For starters, fingerprints. My fingerprints? Mm-hmm. On Frank Peterson's body, in the van. In what van? The van you used to abduct him. On his bike, which we found in the back of the van, 
and on the branch you used to sodomize them. Holy Wouldn't be the first time fingerprints were planted. Oh, a few, maybe, but 70, 80, and in blood? Yeah, and we got a slew of witnesses, each of whom identified him out of a photo array without hesitation. It's a nightmare. So end it. End it. Tell us why you did it. I was in Cap City. From when to when? I left my house at 9 a.m. on Tuesday. I was back the next day, Wednesday, noon. Anybody with you? Yeah, Jerry Frost and Bob Barry. What was in Cap City? It was a conference for secondary school English teachers. Conference on what? On censorship, banning books. Modern Language Association held it at the Babcock Hotel. We got in there before the guest lunch and then right into the afternoon panel discussion. What time was this? After the lunch, two, two o'clock. You know, went about an hour. They took questions, 45 minutes. How convenient. Not for you, it isn't. All right, so Irene Papoulos, you go to a lot of MLA events. Did exactly. you see? Uh... <laughs> I can relate to secondary school English teachers. <laughs> uh, can you relate um, to this uh, this drama series? Yes. There's we're six episodes in so far. I, I know not everybody in the panel got all the way up to episode six, but yeah, but I've, I I've watched all six okay. because when it, when one would end, the next one would just start. <laughs> you there you know? go again. So glorious, um, <laughs> and it was great. But. Um, I love, even just listening to that clip, I love the quietness of it, you know, that it's sort of a dramatic story, but it's just so understated the way everyone talks. I could see why it could drive some people crazy, but to me, it just sucks me in, like to the calm, understated world of people just interacting. And I love the, uh, you know, there's certain... I mean, the acting is so good, and also some of the relationships, I think, are really interesting. Like, even just the marriage between the detective and his wife, who is sort of like a schlumpy, middle-aged couple, but they sort of, it's kind of interesting to see how their marriage is. Um, so that's my starting point. All right. Well, let's just kind of keep going around yeah. the table. Give me first impressions here. Yeah, I agree with uh, Irene. I th- I love the quietness of it. I, I take some umbrage with the tone like the the visual tone of it because i think it's dark in a way that it doesn't need to be dark or dark at times when it's actually not effective um and i i'm actually craving some more um extraterrestrial i don't know you know when i was doing a little bit of like early research before i like jumped into the um series i was like okay so it's a thriller and they say that it's got some like sci-fi and i was like i was like okay where's the sci-fi like where's this so i and i suspect that that may be overblown and it's telling of what what the series actually is um but i think i'm 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 into it. I think I'm into it. I was really shocked by Jason Bateman. I was like, because I was like started watching it, um, but I was like distractedly watching it. And so when I finally like clicked in, I just saw a very uh, dirty Jason ba- Bateman. And I was like, oh, I, is that you? <laughs> oh, it is you. Um, so, yeah, I think the acting is really lovely. I think I think the idea of a boogeyman and that and that. It's something to consider um, is really interesting. So I like the the themes that the the show is suggesting. Yeah. So I agree that Jason Bateman to me is Michael Bluth, and he has this like likable quality and this very likable face. Um, no, he does work a lot. You know? I'm, I'm not I know. saying that, but I'm just he really. The, I I thought that he was such an interesting. Um, I thought this was such an interesting project for him, and I know mm. he did some of the directing and everything. So, and I, I just thought it was a really neat step for him um, f- 
I, I think for a lot of for a lot of people because you see him very differently in this. Although you do have to see him as Marty Bird and Ozark. That I am. That's like next on my list. Yeah. Um, so. I agree about the darkness. I was watching this in daylight. I had to like pull the curtain shut because it was so dark I couldn't see the TV screen. Well, you've been watching the very similar The Stranger, except The Stranger has more primary colors and I think higher lighting. The, the Stranger. Yeah. So these are similar and yet different. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 kind of have of of there's like this aspect of this like you know that that outsider, the stranger, like something just changing forever. This town, like touching these lives of these people. But this one is like this really – it's this like slow burn. So these first couple episodes, because it's quiet, because it's dark, uh, it doesn't latch you in the way that The Stranger uh, on Netflix does. Right away, The Stranger on Netflix is kind of like this loud boom that really gets you going. Um, this one, I, I was saying to Colin, I kind of wish I had known nothing about it. Uh, I wish I had watched it when it just first dropped and that I had gotten into and I wasn't hearing things. Uh, I'm also concerned because of the supernatural aspect. I am hoping that it doesn't turn into like that movie, A Quiet Place or The Quiet Place mm-hmm. that we had to see for the nose. And by the time that like these alien creatures are running through cornfields, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> no, you've ruined everything. I, well, <laughs> I, I, I think you have so to worry about that quite so much because one thing about Richard Price as a writer, I think, is he's really, really interested in human interaction. So he's going to be more interested in how all these people process their understanding of what's happening, uh, I think, you know, and maybe a little less interested in the demonic part of all this. So as you all know, because I sent you a long, boring, tendentious email, um, (laughs) I'm really sort of fascinated by the dynamic that I see going on here. And I've, I've been watching it for decades now, which is that whole question of, for the most part, most of us do choose rational and scientific explanations for things that go on in our lives. And so when you're watching the movie The Exorcist, what's kind of funny about it is is, is that everybody who's watching the movie The Exorcist is yelling at Ellen Burstyn, who's going to get psychiatrists and neurologists and there's spinal taps and there's hypnosis and there's all kinds of things you would try if your kid was really troubled and everybody in the audience is going, you Idiot. You <laughs> irresponsible mother. Your child is possessed by the devil. Why won't you get the, this poor child an exorcist? Which is, of course, not how we would handle things mm-hmm. in, in real life. But there's a part of us, uh, of us, this atavistic part of us, that does think that, I think. And that's why these things work. This is interesting to me, first of all, because of this incredible performance by Cynthia Erivo, who does not mm-hmm. arrive, though, until, you know, quite a ways in, into this episode thing. Episode three. Yeah, episode three. <laughs> and she plays Holly Gibney. She's this investigator. She clearly is somewhere on the autism spectrum. Uh, she also has this kind of strange relationship with reality. She has these unusual cognitive powers. She um, also seems to carry these little Pinades-type statues with her. Uh, she's the one person maybe who can undertake all this. But Irene, what fascinates me about that is she's still basically a rationalist and she gets confronted more and more with these supernatural hints. And because she's also the kind of person who just processes information very dispassionately, she starts to realize the only explanation that is going to work at all is a supernatural one. So I see her kind of at this juncture of this you know, duality that we've been playing with in movies for decades and decades. All right, that's now really shut up. That's true. Yeah, that's really true. It's interesting because she approaches the supernatural in a very rational way, you know, because she's she's getting – she has evidence. She has tangible evidence that allows her to – make that interpretation and feel like even in spite of herself, she's making that interpretation. And so it's re- and, and so much of her acting is when she's not talking and you just see it on her face, how she like 
puts things together and, and, and decides things and suffers when people don't agree with her. And, you know, it's, it's, such, it's such a beautiful way. But it, I think, yeah, that's true. She brings us into that feeling of, well, you know, let's look at it. Let's see what are we really – what's really in front of us. Let's not just dismiss it. Let's take into consideration everything that, that is being that, – that I see and how can I how can uh, I? All right, let's yeah, see, this, it's really be, interesting. Before we jump in here, I just want to play a little clip of uh, Revo's performance. This is uh, her as Holly Gibney. She's talking about this. She's talking about this notion. She's talking to Ben Mendelsohn, who plays a, a town police officer, police chief, I think he is. He's something like that, anyway. Uh, and you'll hear her articulate the first glimmerings of her suspicion. Sounds like your man has a doppelganger. From the German uh, double gore. The myth is, if it's a myth, is that uh, everyone in the world has a, a non biological double. If it's a myth. What? You said if it's a myth. Yes, I did. Mm. Because I have no um, tolerance for the unexplainable. Well then, sir, you'll have no tolerance for me. I can tell you what day May 1st lands on 204 years from now, faster than any computer on Earth. I can look at a skyscraper for two seconds from a speeding car and tell you within six inches how tall that building is. And I can not only recite the lyrics of every rock and roll song written from 1954 to the present day, but I can tell you which billboard chart position they were in week to week before they fell off completely. All that's true, When I was four years old, my parents took me to see a psychiatrist to be examined. That was what got the ball rolling. And by the time I was eight years old, I had been tested, uh, studied, uh, written about and videoed by psychiatrists, behaviorists, neuroscientists, and six different kinds of interdisciplinary sociobiologists. And you know what they said? If I know. If I feel like using the conditional if, then if's the word, Mockingbird. So, first of all, Tanisha, it probably should be said, we're living in a Cynthia Erivo moment, and that moment may last a very long time. Uh, she seems to be do, able to do almost anything, including sing Oscar-nominated <laughs> songs for movies that she stars in. Uh, I, I find her to be especially remarkable. This is a this role could have jumped into cliche very, very easily, yeah. and somehow or other yeah. she holds it back from that. Yeah. I mean, she's a problematic uh, actress, um, but it is good to see her. Uh, why, do you, why do you say that? Well, there's uh, there's some trouble in Hollywood, I think, right now with the kind of black people they want, they mm-hmm. like to hire. Um, she's British Nigerian. She's Nigerian, um, and I think that there's a conversation. You know, I think we all want to get to a sort of pan diasporic uh, place, um, but I think uh, folks like Cynthia and uh, you know, um, David Ayelowo uh, um, have to sort of recognize that black, like descendants of slaves, have done a lot of work that have allowed that allow them to stand on the shoulders of, and that they are standing on the shoulders of that labor, um, and that they are occupying space primarily because white people don't have to deal with uh, any kind of guilt uh, associated with dealing with regular old American blacks. Um, And she hasn't done a great job of uh, 
telling, carrying that story. She will either, she sort of steps into it uh, when she step like steps in like steps in the poo. Uh, she sort of uh, she she has said things about regular black people that has been not has been unsavory. See, I didn't know about any of this. Wow, I didn't either. Yeah. But she's uh, she's playing I heard the, she's gonna be Aretha in a movie. So that's sort of like, wow, you're taking <laughs> a lot of iconic African American roles. Yeah. So is that but what I mean, has she said Something. I mean, her, she has said, and I, I forget the verbatim Twitter, but it's like, you know, I am black and I am trained and I've worked really hard. And so, you know, these are roles, you know, that are that I am as eligible for as anyone else. But then, you know, she'll also say I am Nigerian and I am um, British. And so that specificity of place and um, lineage is really important to who I am and really important to how I can tell a story. And so there's a sort of a lack of alignment between that, right? Like, yeah, you're right. There is some specificity in the kind of black person you are um mm. we're asking well now that you that. say all that and i can sort of understand how some american black performers might say think oh they couldn't get anybody from here to play harriet tubman isn't mm. that interesting right so right. I, I sort of get that. but i think she i think her performance in this uh show was great and i because i had read so much before i started watching it mm. i was like what is she doing because mm. i didn't know who holly was or what holly was so i just was like i don't know what I'm watching here. And then as it sort of dawned on me like, oh, this is a person that's got uh, uh, neurological diversity, as they say. I was like, oh, that's really kind of brilliant, you know. But I, at first I was like, I don't even, I don't know what kind of acting she's doing here. But she has a um, mean American accent, right. you know. Oh, yeah, no. Know, she's, she, so uh, all the British performers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was so. going to say, the guy who's the cop, he's British too, and his voice is so wildly different if you have heard him speak outside of this character. What's mm. his, the actor's ben name? Mendelsohn? Ben Yes, Ben Mendelsohn does not sound anything like that. Yeah. I think oh, might, I think wow. I'm being told he's actually Australian, but same, okay. same difference. He seems so yeah. American. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, he but his, like he, a Vermont the pitch, guy. the tonal quality in his voice is completely mm-hmm. transformed in this. And I, I also think that ultimately there are two people in this. Those two people are the people who are kind of stand-ins for us, too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's a way in which we are... Hannah, the Cynthia Rivo character, uh, Holly, excuse me, the Cynthia Rivo character, in the, that we are just constantly struggling to explain the reality that we're in. I mean, all of us have that to some degree. It, it you know, at least I'm assuming I'm not the only one. You know, where life always doesn't always make sense, and so you're working on it. And then all of us are, to a certain degree, Ralph Anderson, the character played by Ben Mendelsohn, who basically have just settled on an explanation. Right? He has settled on an explanation, and if things don't fit that explanation, he crowds them out of the way. You hear him say that in the clip. I, I won't put up with things that I can't explain. And then he also feels guilty about something that he does in the first, I think it's the first episode, and he just feels bad about it because he wants to be the person that always does the right thing, mm-hmm. I think, too. And it, he's us in that way, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else? Any, any other? Um, I mean, I think I think we're all pretty addicted to it. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, 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 can't, know. Yeah. I, I can't wait watch. for the next I, one. I definitely will continue watching it, which is a lot for me. I mean, that's a... That's a the person I live with is very much... When I 
said to him, you know, it's uh, it's got this sci-fi piece to it. He was like, oh, God, I don't want to watch that. I have no idea. But I got, you know, got him into it, started, and, and he actually continued on with episodes <laughs> past me. Uh, and I was, like, so annoyed. I no, was like, don't do that. No, uh, so I, I think it's one of those shows that, like, it is sort of like broadly interesting to it a lot of people. It gets better as it goes along, mm. too. I will say. So I have this new theory I've been working on, working on where start. I've been trying to, when I want to watch a show, I start like the second episode in. And then, because <laughs> hear me out on this. The first episode can be, have a lot of, there's just. Exposition. A, exposition. It's, it's, oh, yeah. and, and it's kind of nice to just sort of jump in where you're already moving forward. And then I'll go back and rewatch and, and go from there. All right. We have to break or we won't have any time. But watch but, more but than get, don't, just get don't do that. Don't, what she just described, don't do that. All right, don't that's not it. a good idea. Thrown like a star, my vast, if I opened my eyes to take a peek, to find that I was by the sea, gazing with tranquility. All right, so uh, I should say once again that we are recording the news on Wednesday night for complicated reasons. That's why we didn't know that people from another planet landed on Earth on Thursday when none of our conversation reflects this when you hear it on Friday. But uh, thanks for listening on Friday or whenever. Uh, I should tell you also that on Saturday we will do the final episode ever of Pardon Me, Another Damn Impeachment Show, a stealth product that we're very uh, popular, we're very proud of. I don't know if it's popular or not. We're proud of it. Uh, and thanks to Jonathan McPants for both of those things. He's worked very hard on Pardon Me, as has Betsy Kaplan and Jonathan McPants is the person producing this episode tonight in the middle of the night. There's nobody else here. It's kind of <laughs> scary. There could We could walk out. There could be twins, you know, really eerie twins and blood coming out of the elevators. We don't no, oh it's God. scary. All right. So uh, we've only got about six minutes left, but we're going to do some endorsements here. Take it away, Irene. All right. So I, speaking of Cynthia Erivo, Erivo um, I saw Harriet the other night, at, and she is really good in that as Harriet Tubman. It's not a great movie, but her performance is, is totally different than this one, than the one in The Outsider, but it's very, very good and interesting. And that face, that expression, that the way that she can control her face is amazing. Um, and I saw it at Cine Studio and also had dinner at the Trinity Restaurant. And I happen to have been there twice. The Trinity Restaurant is so good. And hard, and it, I think not enough people go to it. And it's just, you know, these, um, you know, they have all these great pastas and um, butternut squash ravioli. And it's really, really good. And so go there and then go to Cine Studio, which is an amazing, underappreciated theater right in Hartford on the Trinity College campus. And I, I second both those emotions. And I saw Fast and Furious, not Fast and Furious, Ford versus Ferrari. Ferrari oh, me too. Way. <laughs> Trini- Trinity Restaurant. Fast and yeah. Fast yeah. Well, we did a whole thing about that. But um, <laughs> Trinity yeah. Restaurant and then there. Although Saturday nights you may wind up with some pretty drunk Trinity kids in Trinity Restaurant. But anyway. Yeah, before the movie, it's yeah, good. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about you, Tanisha? Um, so I'm endorsing uh, Cecile McLaurin oh. Salvan. Uh, I saw her at the mm-hmm. Bushnell this uh, weekend. Uh, a new friend uh, took me to check that out. And uh, she's stunning. And she did this acapella version of Pirate Jenny, um, which if, if is any indication of what the song list was because or a perfect indication of what the song list was because I, I left that thinking to myself oh this is what a young artist is is thinking today and it's environment and it's 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 political and and things are dark out there um but her voice is transcendent and uh 
you should check her out. For people who don't know the name, she is sort of the surpassing jazz singer right now. There is sort of there's her and there's everybody else right now. Uh, she's, a, I mean, she's a, she, the fact that she sang that song, mm-hmm. Pirate Jenny, completely a cappella. Mm-hmm. I was like, girl, like she can bend her voice and keep you in it yeah. in a way that everybody else would need a spine of, of, of a piano or a guitar to, like, support. And yeah. she's just... Could you say the name again? Cecile Salvan. Uh, McLaurin. Salvan. All right. Carolyn Payne. Okay. Um, well, I already mentioned The Stranger on Netflix. I'm going to endorse that because I, I do think that's a fun it's – a, it's a fun ride. And also the uh, new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO. <laughs> do it. It's so good. It's just the way he's responding to things going on, everything from, you know, MAGA hats to the Me Too <laughs> movement. Just it, – it's great. Just get in on it. Right. The MAGA hats is very funny actually. Um <laughs> So yeah, I'm going to endorse, and I think I will bring delight, someone some delight anyway, to Tanisha Dugan when I do so. Um, at Theater Works right now, the lifespan of a fact. Lifespan of a fact is based on a book uh, by John Degada and uh, James Fingal. Uh, came out, out I think around 2012, 2013. I read it at the time, and I think Degada came on this show too. Uh, it, it's about a dispute between a magazine writer, a kind of stellar, you know, would be Norman Mailer kind of uh, magazine writer, and a very very young fact checker. And it happened in real life. The, the actual incident happened in real life. And the book that came out was kind of annotated. It was this magazine article about a suicide in Las Vegas with all of this young fact checker's questions and, and the answers in kind of done in schematic form, uh, lines going out from paragraphs and stuff like that. So it's a battle about whether – Facts matter, whether they matter all the time, whether too many facts can distort a central truth, what happens when you decide you, that, that maybe that is the case and you want to let go of some of the facts and try to get at something deeper. Uh, the third character in this uh, is the magazine editor who is trying to uh, negotiate uh, between these two rather urgent men. Uh, on Broadway, it was done by Daniel Radcliffe, Bobby Cannavale and Cherry Jones, the cast at Theatre Works. They may not be those names, but they're really, really fine actors. The play has some problems. I mean, I actually do have some fairly significant issues with the play. But this is also a subject upon which I dwell and moil and worry about. Uh, And for me to watch it and not feel as though we're being handled superficially, I think that's sort of a good sign anyway. And the audience really liked it too. So lifespan of a fact, theater works, go there. And John DeGatta, I think, is coming back on this show pretty soon too. Said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 ye